All right, so today we're doing a sermon. It's a preview of our fall teaching series, which is called Tattoo My Soul. And for the last, what, two years? That's not right, 12 years. For the past 12 years, I've been sitting down with the Lord in January, the first month of the new year every year, and I've been asking God, give me a scripture, give me a verse, give me a story from the Bible that you know that I need to pay attention to this year, that you know will apply to my whole year, that you know you want to work on me through this year. And so this year, the verse God gave me back in January was Job chapter 19, which is right here, and the other 11 years are all right here. And I'm not saying let's all go get tattoos, but what I am saying is that God's got things to say to you, you guys, in this book. And sometimes they're for the moment, sometimes they're for the day, for the season, and sometimes they're the, for the whole year. Our vision statement this year of desiring doing comes from Philippians, and that is a verse that God gave us for the whole year. But Job 19 is the verse that God gave me for the year, but there's lessons in it that apply to all of us, and so we're going to talk about it today. Now, part of this idea of this language of tattoo my soul comes to us from our first verse of the day, Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says, write my words on your heart and in your soul. Just picture that. God in the Old Testament, in the beginning, write my words, which you read in here, on your heart, write them on your soul. Do whatever it takes to remember what I'm telling you. Tie them to your hands. Wear them where you will see them every day. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you are, when you're at home, when you're on the road. From the time you get up until you go to bed at night, inscribe them on your doorposts. Inscribe them on your house and on your city gates so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish, may succeed in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Here's some just Q&A, some interactive. What, what helps you guys remember Scripture? Anybody? What do, you, what do you like to do when you see a verse and it resonates with you? What do you do to help yourself remember what this book says or to remember things that you hear that you don't want to forget? Give me some examples. Yes, sir. Write it down. It's one of my favorite things to do is if I read something in the Bible and it resonates, I write it. There's something spiritual and don't remember or don't forget we're the only creatures on this planet that have the gift of reading and writing, that when you read something that resonates, if you write it down, it's like it passes through you and it becomes part of you. Great answer. What else? What do you guys like to do when you read something that resonates and you want to remember it? Reading it over and over again, right? Memorize it. I'm a horrible memorizer. That's why I create visuals, because if I have a picture to go with it, I can remember it. What else? Another example of how you can help yourself remember things. Bookmark it, save it, keep it like it said in the scripture in front of you. Some other examples, turn it into a piece of art. Today at Art Ministry, if you hear a verse today, turn it into a piece of art. Another example, I like to give away red Sharpies from time to time, scratch that, dry erase markers, and then write the scripture on my window or on my mirror, and I encourage you guys to do that. Go get yourself a red dry erase and just write a scripture on your mirror for the week and it's in front of you, you can memorize it. I like to write them on my window and literally think of it like a spiritual protection. And you know what? I think there's power in that. 
but you can write it down where you'll see it all the time. I mean, in the scripture, he says literally, write it on the doorpost, the most foundational piece, the thing that you can't come in and out of your house without seeing every day. You really want to, really want to learn and remember what scripture says? Do it. You read something that resonates, if you do it, if you walk it out, if you have a desire that you see in Scripture, oh, I really want the joy that this is promising, and then you do it, that Scripture is going to be written on your heart and soul. If you want to remember and learn Scripture and have it written on your soul, then do what it says. So today we're talking about the problem that keeps us from that so often of pressure or, pointedly, peer pressure. Anybody ever experienced peer pressure before? Seven of you. All right. For the rest of you, God bless. But I have been struggling with peer pressure for a couple years, but particularly this year, this season. And I know that you struggle with peer pressure because we all do. We're people. We live with other people, our peers, and sometimes there's pressure, good or bad. And God has been speaking to me about my pressure, and he's been teaching me things. So today, I'm going to share some of the things I've learned. Pretty much this whole, path, uh, this whole sermon is going to come to us from one of my quiet times from just on Monday. I sat down, as I do almost every day, and just wrote out prayers, and then wrote out Scripture, and then wrote out some prayers, and wrote out some Scripture. On Monday, I did that, and I'm just going to read it to you today, and we're going to talk about it, and that's our sermon. So Monday morning, Panther Creek Starbucks at 7.05 a.m., I started my quiet time with the same seven words that I always started with, good morning, Father, thank you for today. Just writing that simple acknowledgement out. Thank you, Father, right? I'm talking to you. Thank you for today. Thank you. Beginning your day with gratitude is so power powerful and important. Thank you for our vacation and for bringing us home safe and sound. My mind is running with thoughts of the fall, and I want to be excited about that. I pray for a quickening in my spirit, for focus. I pray for wisdom and discernment. Refresh the words that you gave to me last week from Malachi 4. God said some cool stuff to me the week before in Malachi. I don't want to forget him, so I wrote them out again. Malachi 4 says, But for you who fear my name, who put me first, the Son of righteousness, that's Jesus, will rise with healing in his wings. Man, picture that. What a cool image. Jesus, if you fear him, if you put him first, if you look at the cross with awe, it says he will rise with healing in his wings. That's awesome. That's beautiful. I want that. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet. Think about the scariest thing this life has to offer. And here's God saying, if you acknowledge my son and put him first, you will tread on that fearful thing like it's dust, like it's already nothing under your feet. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah. I'm sending you a teacher before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, don't do any of this. Don't receive any of this. Otherwise, I will come and I will strike the land with a curse. 
I love you so much, I'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. My response to that in my prayer time was, Jesus, let it be. You are God and I am not. Vengeance is yours and not mine. I am your son, your servant. I'm your sacrifice. Like, you do whatever you need to do with me. Here I am. You sent me, and I am still here. But I feel like I'm hanging on by a thread. Anybody ever feel like that? That's how I feel lately. Like I'm hanging on by a thread. Now let's talk about what we just read and saw. In this verse that God has been speaking to me, and as your pastor, that means he's speaking to you as well, we see God's desire for this student ministry this fall, which is three weeks away. We see his promise of healing, and everyone in this room needs it, whether they admit it or not. We see his promise of freedom, which all of us need, whether we know it or not. We see promises of power. We see promises of victory. And we see God's desire for, for my preaching this fall. I want, God, what do you want me to say this fall? What do you want me to talk about? And he says right here, I want you to turn the hearts, our hearts, to our parents, to, to love them and respect them, even when we don't, especially when we don't agree with them. Turn our hearts to our parents, and then he says, we need to turn our parent, our heart, or we want to see our parents' hearts turn to us. We want our parents to recognize you guys. I want your parents to recognize. I, as a parent, on behalf of my kids, want to recognize your life is hard. You have very real stress and pressure that people are so easily like discarding, like, oh, they're just teenagers. It's just hormones. No, I know that you wrestle with real things. No matter how trivial the world may say it is or your friends may say it is, it's a big deal, a big deal to you. And God is telling me, like, own that, acknowledge that, recognize that as their pastor, and help their friends, help their parents recognize that too. None of your problems are small, you guys, not here. So, that's a desire we see in that passage. But, for all the good that God's promising, healing, victory, strength, because I've been struggling with peer pressure, instead of feeling hopeful when I read these words on Monday morning, I immediately started worrying instead about my haters, about the devil, about what if it doesn't work. I started like making excuses for, well, I'm, we're not going to see the whole thing. Do you ever do that? When you hear something so good, too good to be true, that you just start like tearing it down, again, even though it's like you're really tearing down yourself? That's, I wrestle with that. I tell myself I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, we don't deserve it. Nowhere in here did God say you got to be good enough to get it. So let's define this idea, peer pressure. What does this phrase mean, peer pressure? Here's the definition. It's a noun and a verb. As a noun, peer pressure is the state of being pressed. Whether you know it or not, living in this area, in the school system you attend, pressure. You know it. You live it. The fact that so many of you only study to pass one test all year, talk about pressure. I see it, I recognize it on behalf. Peer pressure, a moral force that brings pressure to bear. You know what I love about this book and my Savior Jesus who loves you? The more I get to know him, the more I realize he's not trying to pressure me to do stuff. He's inviting me. But the world doesn't know how to do that. It is all pressure. Now, as a verb, peer pressure means to force someone toward a particular end to force you to 
fit in, not rock the boat, to just be like everybody else, to negatively influence. Man, that's the world's way. That's the enemy's way, to negatively influence you to do something you don't want to do. Thing is about peer pressure is peer pressure is not really the problem. Your friends, my friends, the people pressuring me, that's not really the problem. The problem is how we respond to that pressure. And let's ask another question. Let me just get an answer or two out of you. But how do you respond to pressure in your life? Um, How do I respond? So what do you got? When you're feeling pressure, what's your response? Don't be bashful. I mean, do you eat? Do you hide? Do you pretend everything's okay? What's an example of how you handle pressure? Yes, sir. Say it again. Walk away. That is so prevalent in our society today. If I don't like it, just throw up a wall and just leave. Nowhere in the Bible do I see that that's the the healthy way to handle things. Although, you know, no offense. I do it too. Yes, ma'am. Pretend everything's okay, man. This is like the generation of wearing a mask. Oh, everything's great. Yes. Just, just do anything. Do something that will make you feel better. Man, even if the something's not really good for you, I do that too. So my main way of handling peer pressure, my response is I complain. It's like I receive it, I don't like it, and so I complain to get rid of it. But you know that when you complain, doesn't the problem just get bigger? Don't you make it worse? Because I do. So I know that there are many of you with it have a similar response to certain situations, particularly pressure, that your response when you feel put upon is to complain. Whiner right here. When I was a boy, my parents made me a chair. They painted on it, mini man's pouting chair, because I would just sit and complain and whine, so much so that they made me a little throne, which was like very devious and like clever. I hated that thing. It was only a decade or so ago. I found it in the barn, burned it right on the spot. All right, so I've been thinking about this. Why is complaint so destructive, so toxic? And if your thing isn't complaint, then put in your struggling point, your go-to response that may not be complaint, but it still works. Why is my way so destructive? Because it's poisonous to think and to speak as if the words and actions of other people, peer pressure, are more important than the words and actions of God. If you have been suckered into the idea that your friends or your peers or, or them or the enemy or shame or guilt, that their words are more important and more powerful than God's words, then you've got a problem and I've got a problem. And thank God for this book and that cross because it represents the solution. So, acknowledging that, here's what God had to say to my fears and my complaints that I was wrestling with on Monday. He reminded me once again of Job 19. What I would give, said Job at a turning point in this book, what I would give to have my words taken down, to have them written in a book, better yet, inscribed on a monument, carved with an iron chisel, and then filled with molten lead, engraved in stone forever. Basically, this is Job saying, I'm about to say something so life-changing, it needs to be recorded for all time. And you know what? It was. And what is it that I have to say? I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that in the end, He will rise. 
and take his stand on the earth. Even after my body has decayed, yet in my immortal body, I will see God with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Now, Job is saying directly to his friends who have been criticizing him and pressuring him and attacking him and who he's been fighting with and complaining with, if you're thinking, man, how do we get through to him? How can we pressure him into seeing that our way, man's way is right and not his way, which is God's way? Job says to them, forget it. Start worrying about yourselves. Worry about your sins and God's coming judgment for judgment is most certainly on the way. And here's my prayerful response to that. Father, forgive me. I do not believe that all the trouble and the turmoil that Brooke and I are experiencing is our fault. But we have been made to feel like it is. You guys, all the trouble, all the turmoil, all the enemy's assaults on you, you got responsibility in it just like I do. It is not all your fault. And I confess, the feelings have been consuming us. They've been consuming our joy, and they've been consuming our focus. So forgive us and help us refocus. Let's camp out on that and what we just read in there. Giving in to peer pressure has consequences, and you know them all too well. Consequences like fear, guilt, shame. But Giving in to grace, to his way, has consequences too. And they're things like confidence and strength and joy. Doing things God's way has consequences that are so good for you. Consequences like confidence, strength, and overwhelming joy. Now, if you have ever given in to peer pressure and you're listening to this sermon today saying, man, I have blown it, I have lost, I stink at that, God loves you. God is eager, waiting to forgive you. If you have any sense of guilt or shame this morning for any area of your life that you've given into, gone away that you know hurt you and wasn't God's will, you can literally right now just kind of stop and just between you and the Lord, Jesus, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I put my way, their way, his way above your way. Will you please just write some new truth on me? Would you just overshadow that? Would you just rise with healing in your wings and take that? You pray something like that with this much faith, and things will change in here for you today. So, Job 19, as I said, is my life verse for this whole year, which we're only halfway through. And in this book, as I mentioned before, it's a turning point. The first 19 chapters, Job's friends are coming at him, and he is complaining, and he is whining, and he is fighting them, even though the Bible says that Flesh and blood isn't our enemy. And for a long time, as Job's friends were pressuring him, he let them. But in Job 19, Job stops and he reminds himself, man, God is God and I am not. And I have a Savior. And that's all that matters, which is profound if you really think about it. Because Job, whether you know it or not, is the oldest book in the Bible. Job was the first book written that's in the Bible, even though it's kind of in the middle, which means that there was no other scripture in existence when Job wrote out by faith, I have a Savior in heaven, and I will see him even after I die. What a proclamation of faith. The first time in the oldest book that it was said, 
Someone's going to come and set me free, and I get to go to heaven. So even if I die in my misery, I'm okay. Man, I need that. I need that all day, every day. I'm overwhelmed at the thought. And what we see here is Job expressing a desire, and then Job doing something about it. He is desiring and then doing something. He's acknowledging truth, and he's saying, I'm going to put it in action. I'm going to stop fighting with you, and I'm just going to point you at Jesus and be done. So, Job decides to give his thoughts and his pressures and his friends to God in that moment. He doesn't gossip about them or curse them or plan revenge. He just gives them to Jesus. What would that look like for us if this year, when you start getting hit with the brand new pressures of the year, you just pre-decide, I'm just giving this to Jesus. Friend, I don't even know how to argue with you. I love you, but I'm just going to give this to Jesus. Can, we just, can I just love you and not fight with you, not gossip about you, not be offended by what you say? Can I just choose to put his words about me and you first instead of all the crud that is like ruining our relationship? What would that look like, you guys? It'd be transformative. It would be the beginning of the best year of our lives if that's the way we could respond to pressure. You guys are walking into a brand new school year, whether you do it at home or private or Christian or public or wherever. You're walking into brand new experiences in a couple weeks. You are walking into brand new challenges, pressures, adventures, new opportunities. And as your friend, as like an older brother to you to some degree, as your pastor, um, I have already walked through the year that you're entering. I walked through it 20 plus years ago. I've been walking through it this past year, wrestling with peer pressure. I have not done great at it. I don't want you to not do great at it. What I am sharing with you is lessons that God's been teaching me all year. I pray if one line of it resonates, that you would grab onto it and do it and write it on yourself and do better than I did when I was your age. I didn't even go to church when I was your age. I didn't even know Jesus was personal and real and that I could just say his name and change things. You guys do better than I did. I don't want to see a single one of you get unnecessarily hurt this year. What would it look like for you personally to focus on Jesus this year like never before? Would it mean memorizing scripture, writing it around your room, finding a verse that like really speaks to you for the year and saying, I'm going to try to do that every day. Believe me, I don't do this perfectly every day, not even necessarily every week, but I'm keeping it in front of me and I'm trying. I'm doing my best. And he says, man, that's, that's all I expect. What would it look like if you were to take any and every occurrence of somebody hating on you this year and just right then when it hits you and you start getting like mad and you start thinking, what can I do to get back at them? You just pre-decide now, Jesus, when that happens, would you help me just give them to you, give the pain to you, give the pressure to you? If you ask God to do something like that for you today, for then, do you know you will remember then because he will remind you because you asked. God gave me a picture as my quiet time wrapped up of what it would look like to just put him first in Hebrews 12. I got a whole scripture here, but we're really going to start at the bottom half and where God says, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens too. I'm going to shake the earth and the heavens, God says. 
This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, heaven and your eternity there is unshakable if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ. Since we're receiving that, how do we respond? Let us be thankful and let us please God. How? By worshiping him with holy fear and like awe, like amazement. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. That should not frighten you. That should invigorate you. That should excite you, and I'll tell you why. After I read that, here's my prayer response. Father, you are a consuming fire, so consume us. Turn our eyes and ears and hearts and minds to you. Fill us with awe and wonder in 2019. Purify us. Purify our worship, not just in our songs, but in the way that we live. What's God saying to us? That he allows storms. He allows things in our lives to be shaken so that the cheap things that we have been clinging to break and fall away. You got any cheap answers to problems that you're clinging to and hoping one day they'll work? Well, God will allow you and I to be shaken so that those things disappear because he doesn't want you to rely on that. He'll allow the easy solutions where you backdoor problems or where you sneak around the right thing to do. He'll allow those things to be shaken so that they just snap in half because he doesn't want you to rely on things that are breakable. He wants you to rely on that, on his son, on the firm foundation. All those things that we do, that the world says is right, that the enemy says we should do, they're going to be shaken and they're going to fall away so that only unshakable things remain. I want to give you a visual of what our lives should look like in relation to all the mess and all the world's ways of doing things around us are always attacking us. Here's a picture of a house on Bolivar Peninsula right down in Galveston. You might have seen this picture before. It got national attention back in 2008 when Hurricane Ike rolled over Texas. The first land it hit was the Bolivar Peninsula and 5,000 homes gone as Hurricane Ike swept through that island. But there's a house right there. Why is that house still there? And all, I mean, the neighbor's houses are gone. Just gone. It's like a couple pieces of garbage left. Where are all those houses? Why is only that one standing? It's because of all the 5,000 neighbors this dude had. That dude did the pre-work of building his house to withstand storms. He built that house, and sure, it cost him something to withstand a Category 5 hurricane. And if you know anything about the history of Galveston Island, you know this wasn't the first hurricane to hit it, and it won't be the last. It's the Gulf of Mexico. It's even shaped to like incite hurricane. And if you live somewhere where you know those kind of storms are going to roll through, you need to pre-decide, i got to build something that will last that will survive the storm. The sad thing is, it shouldn't be just his house. All those neighbors knew the possibility of a hurricane might come, like this year, this season. They should have all built their houses like that dude did, so that they would all still be there after the storm. But they did not. They chose the easy way, 
They chose cheap materials. They did not build their home on a firm foundation. This book is our firm foundation. God's ways are our firm foundation. That cross and what it represents, that Jesus died for you and me, that is our firm foundation. If you build your life on that promise, nothing can shake you. If you cling to it during the storm, you're not going anywhere. And when peer pressure comes, you can, like, laugh at it. Sucker! The same is true for me and you. There will be storms this year. Even if this is the best year of life, there's still going to be storms this year. Um, My family and I are in a storm right now. It, It has been ongoing. There's no way to get out of it. But we have done our best to build our lives on this book and on Jesus' love for us. Some practical ways that that looks are what we're talking about today. We read the Bible and we try to do what it says. And you know what it says? Be part of healthy community. You guys, when I invite you to small groups, I don't get a bonus if you show up. That is for you. You need it. If your friend groups at school or out there in the world aren't healthy, you will find healthiness here. Not that our groups are perfect. We still got gossip. We still got favoritism. We got cliques, but we work on it. We press into it. We apply these words to those relationships, and they will be a firm foundation for you. This book will be a firm foundation for you. Using and discovering what your gifts are to use to serve and love others, especially here, will build up that firm foundation for you. We have done those things. We try to do those things. And so the question remains, what are God's words telling us to do in our storms? Well, we saw it right there in Hebrews. Thank God during the storm. Singing to God during the storm. Worshiping God during the storm. It makes a difference. Do you see how easy that is? How, how wonderful that is? Storm's coming? You should just sing to me. You should just thank me. You should just remember me because I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to be all that you need and more. If you can pre-decide today, I need to remember when the storm comes, when the pressure comes, God explicitly told me in Hebrews that I should sing in those moments. There's something so profound and spiritual and powerful about song, about singing. I mean, God made almost every single creature on earth in some way, shape, or form to sing. And we get to do it when we, by singing like the words he gave us. There's something that happens when we sing. Things change when we sing. I hope this semester will become a semester where when you walk in here in the morning that those first three songs aren't just like, okay, I'll just use these to wake up, but that you will sing and you will listen to the words that you're singing and you will agree with them in your heart as you sing because things happen when we sing, when we worship. And do you know that your whole life, every day, all day, can be a song by acknowledging these words and walking them out. It'll be like music and joy just follow you everywhere. I dare you to give it a chance this semester. Latch on to a scripture from this sermon or from this book and just walk it out every day that you can and see if things don't change for you. Bailey and company, you guys can take the stage. I want you guys to grab your prayer cards and a pen, and we're going to respond to what we've heard. I want you, as you grab that card, to remove distraction, and if that means just closing your eyes, that's fine, but would you just ask God, just between you and him, nobody's looking over your shoulder, what is my greatest fear coming up this semester? 
or in my life right now? What is my greatest pressure? What is really looming over me in a scary way? Whatever that is, would you just acknowledge it, own it, write it down? Just admit it. Don't be scared of it. Just own it and inscribe it on that piece of paper for a minute. I'll give you a few seconds to do that. Now, would you just take that fear and would you just write a simple prayer saying, God, will you take this from me? Will you remove the power of this over me? Would you help me remove this and then replace it with something that's good for me? God did not create us to live in fear of the enemy, in fear of people, in fear of our own fears. Create us to live in awe of the love of Jesus whose sacrifice broke fear, broke sin, broke death. Just ask God in your own words, remove this fear. When I feel afraid this year, I don't care if I'm in the middle of the hole, may I just sing out loud or under my breath, but would I just transform the way that I think by just singing to you this year instead of complaining to everybody? Jesus, help me do that. So we acknowledged our fear. We're writing prayers, asking God to remove them. And then let's let's get to the good part. Will you just invite God to overwhelm you this year with healing if you need healing? Freedom from temptation if you need freedom. Power to not just say things, but do them. If you are committing this morning, feeling convicted this morning, I got to read this book every day. Ask God for the power to pick up and read this book every day. Ask God, would you make this school year a year of victory for me and for you, for me and my relationship with you? Write one of those or all of those out as a prayer. still writing, continue, but I'm just going to let you know, as with every week, you have a variety of ways that you can finalize your response today. We invite you every single week. If you've got a job, if you get an allowance, you should bring the tithe. You should let God know you're more important to me than money. I need you more than money. And when you do that, he'll bless you. And often he'll bless you with more money. He says, test me. So bring the tithe. If you didn't today, bring it next week. And bring us your prayer cards if you're done with them. If you want to keep it, great. But we got these new tithe boxes up at the front that one of our former students made for us with his own hands. Bring us the tithe. Bring God your prayers and just drop those in there. And we will pray over them and we will receive them on your behalf this week. You can also take communion. and Just say, thank you, God, for sending your son, for loving me, even on my worst day. Just receive the elements and acknowledge, man, Jesus died so I could have freedom and victory and confidence and power and healing. And just, it's just a way of saying, thank you. Like, I believe in you. I want more of you so much so that I'm going to make this symbolic act like part of me, part of my day. 
But again, I want to read you Hebrews. Since we are receiving a kingdom, a life that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God. How? By worshiping him, by putting him first, by putting him in front of our fears and behind them and above them and below them. Put him first by singing to him, even when, especially when you don't feel like it. So I invite us today to take advantage of the opportunity of singing to Jesus and reading the words and making them count whether you're the best singer in here or one of the worst. Why do we worship? Because God just says we get stronger when we sing to him. Do you know that? That you get stronger in your faith when you sing to him? Because you're obeying him. He said, sing to me. We worship because our pressures fade. They get smaller when we sing to him. So if you got pressure, sing today, knowing it makes a difference. And we sing because and things change. Life changes. The spiritual environment around us changes when we sing to Jesus. If you need some change in your life, sing and see what happens. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to respond. And I hope one of them is maybe some of you in this room will sing with more verb and passion and joy than you have in a long time. I want to. I need to. Jesus, thank you so much for today for the lessons you've been teaching me and us. We acknowledge and we recognize we've all got pressures and you've demonstrated a clear solution. Man, sing to me in the storm. Put me first. So may we do that in your name, Jesus. Bless you. 